Hey, I'm Sheena Shuey. I'm a registered social worker and host of the 4Q podcast. I'm passionate about normalizing, not pathologizing life, and that's not easy. So each episode, I have amazing guests on to share the messy, beautiful ups and downs of life in four key questions with tips and tricks along the way. There are moments in life where you can embrace your story and understand that it's okay not to feel okay sometimes. So let's get into it. This is the 4Q Podcast. Georgina, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Sheena. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, look, you and I, I I don't know what your belief system is, but I definitely think we pull in people who who are aligned with us and we definitely deflect people who maybe aren't so much. And you and I connected over Instagram, but we live in the same part of the world and I think a lot of our messaging is the same. So I'm just so happy to have you on the podcast today. I'm really excited. So um, so Georgina, I guess the, the best thing we could do is just jump straight into our four R's today, reflect, redefine, redesign and realign. So re- let's reflect on the amazing person you are and all that you do. So tell us a little bit about, you know, who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, so like most women, I wear a lot of hats. My husband and I co-founded Vitalita, which is a health and wellness business dedicated to helping busy women create lives brimming with vitality. Uh, I work in the business as a women's life and wellness coach, but I'm also a yoga, Pilates and meditation teacher. And then, of course, you know, like all small business owners behind the scenes, I'm everything from, you know, bookkeeper and social media manager to, you know, IT support. Um, So that's that's who I am in a professional capacity. Um, In terms of my personal life, um, you know, as I've said, I run my business with my husband, which obviously comes with uh, some unique challenges (laughs) uh, to be diplomatic about it. My husband and I are child-free by choice, um, and we have a beautiful dog, a Spoodle Luigi. Oh, Luigi, what a great name. And a Spoodle, just, it's like, what's that? It's a poodle cross with? A Cocker Spaniel. Oh, there we go. Beautiful temperament. He's very, very spoiled. (laughs) Um, And he's actually on holidays with grandma at the moment, so... (laughs) I know it's so funny um my mum came over yesterday over on the weekend and we were talking about when we first got our first dog Maya how she would get puppy sat because I didn't want her to be alone for long hours and was she safe it's just it's funny how we can be so nurturing towards them right yeah and look Luigi is a black dog and you know as a therapist you yourself would know that idea of the black dog and it's no coincidence you know Luigi is actually you know part of my story and he has um he has been really nurturing and nourishing um towards me during my journey with anxiety and depression 
Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I hope we get to talk about Luigi a bit more. Um, you know, I think I, I can definitely relate to that. I have a Labrador, which are used for therapy dogs, and that was unintentional, but um, she's definitely a comfort, both in a sensory sense of like when I'm feeling a bit, you know, off, I just feel her soft ears and I'm like, oh, this is such a sensory thing for me but also just you know just having that weight of this thing that loves you so unconditionally I think it's um very healing very uh, non non-verbal healing in a lot of ways so so I guess let's stop holding off on your story because I'm so uh I think it's so worth sharing and I'd love to hear it from you so let's go to the redefine which is really you know, what has been a defining or pivotal moment in your life? Uh, so really that defined a new perspective or meaning in the way that you saw life. So um, could you share that with us, what maybe one of the many redefining moments in your life would have been? Yeah, of course. So I'll just give you a little bit of backstory. Um, so after university, I moved to London with this dream of working in the muse museum and gallery sector, uh, which I did before moving into cultural policy. And I was very good at what I did. And, you know, like many, I actively sought out more responsibility, more money, more opportunities to advance my career, because those were my markers of success. You know, that's what we're taught is important, right? And then during the global financial crisis, the arts suffered really badly. You know, arts funding is always the first thing to go. And it got to the point where all my friends and colleagues talked about was redundancy and restructuring, and it got really bleak. So I started to consider my options, you know, looking at where my transferable skills um, lay and where else I could put them to use. And I happened to be working with a mentor at the time and he worked in consulting. And albeit it was in a boutique firm, but it just like planted this seed for me so that when I saw one of the big four firms were um, recruiting for graduate management consultants, I thought, why not? And I threw my hat into the ring. And I ended up being successful. And in some respects, it was an excellent opportunity. You know, the time and the money that they invest into training is extraordinary. Like I had eight weeks of full-time residential training and I still use those skills today. Mm. But the cultural fit wasn't right. You know, right from the get-go, I was the proverbial square peg in the round hole. And I even remember saying to one of my managers, I feel like I don't fit in. You know, the hours were long, the pressure was intense and my mental health deteriorated really quickly to the point where, you know, Sam would often open the front door of an evening and find me crying, you know, mm. but I put up with it and needless to say, it didn't end well. And funnily enough, it's almost 10 years ago today that I was wheeled out of my central London office on a stretcher, having mistaken a panic attack for a heart attack. And there's a history of heart disease in my family. Um, and I can remember sitting at my laptop in the office on the NHS website, looking up symptoms. And the paramedics ran an EKG um, in the ambulance and fortunately everything was fine but they strongly advised me to take some time off and to consider the direction in which my career was going and whether it was the right 
path for me. And it was very, very clear to me that this was not the first time that they had given this piece of advice. And that's mm. what's really quite so frightening. Um, but I took their advice. I had a week off. And the following Monday, I got on the train to head back into the office and I had another panic attack. So I literally got off the train at London Bridge. I called a friend and she told me to get straight back on the train and go back home. And to be honest, I don't actually remember a whole lot after that. I had um, about eight weeks off on stress leave. Um, but the whole period is really a blur for me. I was sleeping like 16 plus hours a day. And I just remember everything being really hard as if I was like wading through cement. Mm. And really the only things I remember from that time are walking to my weekly therapy appointments. You know, so I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression at that point. And living in the UK, I was fortunate enough to have access to free talk therapy. So mm. that and medication were absolutely life-saving for me. They acted as a circuit breaker and I'm really, really grateful to have access to those tools. Um, and I speak openly about that because I think there is still a stigma around medication, but I've been on and off meds for the past decade and really at times they have been life-saving for me. Um, and funnily enough, the other thing that I remember <laughs> is writing morning pages. So I don't know if you're familiar with morning pages. It's um, the stream of consciousness journaling technique that was popularized by Julia Cameron in The Artist's Way. And I have absolutely no idea what I wrote. I didn't keep those journals, but I wrote three pages longhand every morning and I've journaled in some form or another every since, uh, you know, ever since. So, you know, my GP negotiated a staggered return to work for me and I eventually went back to the office, but, you know, there's no going back from that kind of experience. You know, there's only moving forward. Mm. So that my challenge and within weeks my entire life changed I got engaged <laughs> I handed in my resignation and Sam and I decided to move back to Australia um, you know so everything changed quite rapidly but little did I know that the process of unraveling and self-discovery was really only just beginning. And it's, you know, it's like opening Pandora's box, right? You know, 30 years of repressed emotion and baggage came spilling out and you can't stuff it back in. You've got to deal with it, right? The dark night of the soul, my friend. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I was down there on my knees and, you know, over the last decade, I've had to learn how to coexist with anxiety and depression um, and start to figure out who I am, what I stand for, and redefine what success looks for me. And that was probably, probably the hardest part of that journey. Yeah, so look, I ended up walking away from the corporate world in 2015 Mm -hmm. um, we launched a business, I retrained as a yoga teacher, then I added Pilates. And then last year, I spent seven months studying to be a life coach. So, you know, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, if this is what my life would look like, I 
I would never have believed you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and there are so many awesome things in that. Um, I think, uh, so one, I just want to normalise is that, you know, um, and I think you're aware of this and you've always been supportive of that, is that, you know, my personal practice of Savasana Collective, I really support people who maybe want to work through that anxiety and depression journey without medication but it's such a choice like just with anything in life there's you know if you ask 10 different GPs 10 different life coaches 10 different therapists what's the best way to work with anxiety or depression or trauma you're going to get 10 vastly different answers. And each of those answers is going to fit different people. So I want to normalize that just in, because even though in my practice, I try to encourage more natural methods, I so respect um, that medication is definitely part of the journey for so many people. And there shouldn't be any stigma around that, right? Because it's just it's, it's what GPs tell us and it's part of the journey. So thank you for sharing that. I think that that's really important. Um, also, if I can ask a bit of the frank or honest question, I'd love to sort of get your um, input on this. So a lot of the women that I work with are in corporate or maybe they're not in corporate, but they've spent six years studying something. So if they've done a bachelor of something and a master's of something and, you know, they've worked and worked to get to the job, the dream job, right? And then there's that concept of the golden handcuffs of you hate your job or you've gotten, somehow you've landed like a bank. I've worked with people who've worked in banks where the pay is so unbelievable <laughs> or not unbelievable, but the pay it's hard to fathom earning that, doing something else or living a lifestyle different to that income bracket. Bracket. So you get stuck in these golden handcuffs of how can I possibly leave when I'm getting paid this much, even though it's soul crushing and I hate this. Uh, how do you deal with that? Or how do you work with other people who have that? Because it sounds like that's kind of similar to your experience. And I know I've experienced something similar where I got the job I had worked so long for and I'm like, I cannot work here. This does not align with my values. So tell me a little bit about that experience for yourself. I'd love your input on that. Mm. And you've just said the magic word, right, values. Like that's what it comes back to for me. You know, first of all, walking away from the corporate world, it, it almost wasn't a choice. It was a necessity for me, um, you know, to to preserve my physical and mental health. You know, things, things didn't just get better from that point. You know, they actually got darker at some points and, you know, I've experienced periods of suicidal ideation. So actually walking away was about self-preservation for, for me. Um, but, you know, looking back, a lot of it is about values and, and alignment or mis, misalignment. And, you know, while I talk about that experience of management consulting, management consulting as, you know, being a great learning experience, it was very clear at the time that there was a mismatch between their values and my values. And at the end of the day, there is no amount of money that can make up for a misalignment in values. And I, and if, you know, I'm, I'm not backwards in coming forwards. I can be very, very straight talking. And I think if you are willing to put up with 
um, that misalignment just for the sake of a paycheck, I think you're lying to yourself and I think you're doing yourself a disservice. And people may not want to hear that, um, but that's what I fundamentally believe. And, you know, one of my highest values is freedom. And yes, monetary freedom is part of that. We all have bills to pay. You know, we live in a capitalist society and, um, you know, that that is necessary. So I'm not suggesting that we all quit our jobs and go and live on a commune. It's just <laughs> not realistic for the majority tempting, of people. Tempting though, tempting, but yes. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, but freedom for me is so much more than just monetary freedom. It's about flexibility. It's about being able to decide when you're going to work, how you're going to work, um, you know, from where you're going to work. It's about being able to create a life that is in alignment with the things that are important to you rather than having to toe the line and uphold someone else's values. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of joke these days that I am unemployable <laughs> because I don't have skills, but because I think I'd be a nightmare employee. I'd be like questioning absolutely everything. Like, why do I have to do it that way? Why can't we do it this way? <laughs> uh, hello. Anyone who's hired me knows I've been that person. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, right, is that it's hard to be that person only to realise, like, hey, you know, I'm not living my dream. I'm not living in alignment with my values. And then it is this whole, like, consciousness shift or mindset shift or dark night of the soul however you want to frame it from a psychological perspective spiritual perspective whatever it's like actually questioning for the first time in your life what is important to me what do I want my lifestyle to look like and my life to look like and and like 90% of the time I would say that means doing your own thing or doing something out of the norm, or doing something that wasn't in the original plan, right? So that's big, because there's a grief and loss around, this was the life I was supposed to have, and now I've got to shift into this life, and people don't understand, and my friends and family don't support me, and, you know, oh, what are people going to think, and it's this whole processing period, which it sounds like you've gone through, I've gone through, still going through sometimes, you know, um, it's tricky. So I think that's it takes courage. So I salute everyone who has made that decision to kind of um, question the, the norm, so to speak, or what we've been told we should do and want. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and it's also how do you get exposed to that sometimes, you know, it's very easy to find a pocket of people, whether it's family and friends, and stay in that. And you all share the same ideas and the same thinking. And it's not how sometimes something like you're saying, like you have a panic attack or something sort of not so great happens that kind of shakes you out of that world. Or even if it can be like a holiday or who knows, it could be so many different things that actually for a moment 
you're out of your world and you're just being the purest version of you, not attached to identities of being a wife, being a daughter, being a worker, like, you know, when you're on holidays or when you're going through a big shift, like a health thing, there are all those questions of like, what am I about? You know, what's important to me? And it sounds like for you that that panic attack and that feeling like you had a heart attack was really that uh, your body's like, wake up. <laughs> Absolutely. And I describe it as the wake up call of a lifetime. And I, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that it happened. Obviously, at the time it was traumatic. But looking back, I am so grateful for that opportunity and everything that has happened since. I would, I would not take it back. You know, it has made me a better wife. It has made me a better teacher, a better coach. It's made me a better human being. Yeah, amazing. And you can feel that. Like that's the thing is that when I work with people or connect with people as I have with you, you can feel that genuineness coming through or that you've done the work. You can definitely feel when people have sort of done some work and when they haven't, and that's totally okay. We're all on different spectrums of our journey. So, so speaking of the work, yeah. let's get to the third uh, R, which is always the fun one, <laughs> not, uh, which is around when you go through something like you experience. Uh, this is where you have to redesign your life, which isn't tricky, uh, which is tricky. So, so after this hard moment, how did you redesign the way that you did things in everyday life and question what you're going to do and move forward? I'd love to hear that story too. Yeah, I love that you used the word redesign and I'd actually never really thought about it that way. Um, and when I started to think about it in those terms, I realised that change of that scale just doesn't happen all at once and I've heard you say on your podcast before you know Rome wasn't built in a day right um, so I kind of see it as happening in stages and that first stage was really all about like immediate interventions you know when I was on stress leave it wasn't about growth as I said it was about self-preservation and just ensuring that those very basic physiological and safety needs were met and it was very reactive you know things that helped me during that period were things like sleep medication talk therapy journaling allowing other people to help me that was a really big one <laughs> and then ultimately making that decision to leave the toxic work environment and it was only once I had the basics sorted that I could start to get my head around the concept of anxiety and depression and start to be more proactive in my approach and that started with a lot of reading like I've always been an avid reader but I started reading books about slow living and mindfulness and psychology and neuroscience um, but also stories by people living with men mental illness were really important for me um, they helped me to feel less alone and you know you have to remember that the stigma around mental illness was much, much greater 10 years ago um, you know and I really relate to your own story of anxiety. You know, you talk about, or you said that you think anxiety was always present for you, but it just didn't have a name. And I think that that's probably true for myself. And I think it's probably true for a lot of people of our generation, you know, because we grew up at a time where we didn't really talk about mental illness a whole, a whole lot. 
mm. um, or feelings. So, yeah, so that diagnosis was almost like this relief, being able to give mm. something a name. And, you know, the next stage was then this period of exploration and experimentation, and that was where the inner work really began for me. And to be honest, I tried anything and everything. So, like, love that. I, I, I like, just dove right in. Kinesiology, naturopathy, Reiki, astrology, psychic readings. Um, I practiced yoga naked, blindfolded, and in public although not all at the same time. Oh, gosh, Georgina, as you were talking, I'm like, this is my person. <laughs> more and more. I'm, like, I'm such that person of like, just lean in all the way, even if other people oh. don't get it, right? And I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, like crystals, essential oils, or oracle cards, like, I, you know, apart from psychedelics, they're really... <laughs> isn't too many things I didn't try and it was kind of like throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck and um, you know everything that I did played a part in helping me to shift my energy and more importantly to curate a toolkit that I could dip into as I required and I refer to that as my mental health toolkit. Um, you know, obviously yoga and meditation have played a massive role in boosting my resilience. Um, I've mentioned journaling that has played a really, really big role for me. Um, exercise, hydration, nutrition have been absolutely uh, foundational. Um, mm. And also, you know, say things like setting really clear boundaries and none of these tools are particularly flashy, right? But they're, they were powerful and they encouraged me to dig deeper and do the inner work that, I didn't even know that I needed to do. So, you know, I kind of, it was at this point that I started to have this realization that I wasn't broken. You know, up until that point, I had really attached myself to my diagnosis of anxiety mm. and depression. But at this point, I could start to step back and actually see it as something that I experienced rather than something that defined me. And I think that was a really, really important turning point for me. And it was only then that I could start to work through some of the conditioning, you know, the perfectionism, imposter syndrome, um, my ideas around productivity and success mm. and what that needed to look like. And then, you know, really underpinning all of that, this idea or this belief that I'm not worthy unless, and mm. that would be a really big one. And, you know, you refer to the work. I don't think the work is ever done. No. And, you know, I'm still triggered from time to time by old patterns and beliefs. And then I also find new things to unravel. Yeah. yeah. So that, you know, that was a really important phase. And then, the third phase, which I think is where I'm at right now, is about consciously redefining or redesigning my life. Um, and it started by getting crystal clear about my core values and creating a life where those values could be front and centre. And, you know, I'd done work on my values before, you know, as far back as kind of 20, uh, 2009, 2010, but as you yourself would know, there is a difference between knowing what your values are and actually living 
mm. by your values. Yeah. Yeah. And um, my my counsellor talks a lot about choice points and you would know far more than I do about <laughs> this. So please correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand it as being a, um, a term from acceptance and commitment therapy. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. You're all about it. And values come from that as well. Yeah. So continue with this the choice point because I think it's such a powerful exercise that I use sometimes too. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's about conscious decision-making, essentially. Every time you have a choice, however large or small, you can choose to act in alignment with your values and you can move to, you can choose to move towards the life that you want for yourself, or you can move away. So for example, if I'm feeling exhausted, I can choose to keep working. And if I have a deadline, then it actually might be necessary to keep working and kind of push through. But I also have the option, the choice to take a break. Maybe I take a nap, maybe I read a book. And in doing that, I'm creating more vitality, um, which is an important value for me, but I'm also honoring that desire for freedom and flexibility. So yeah, that, that idea of choice points has been really important for me um, in, in creating a life that has meaning and purpose and value, value for me. Yeah, so, you know, really, it's just about getting more intentional about the way I live my life. And I don't always get it right. In fact, I get it wrong a lot. <laughs> but the thing that I love about um, choice points is that every moment is an opportunity to choose again. Yeah, and and as we know, living in values is... It creates meaning. So something that so many people at this stage of life and this, this stage of the world that we're in are like, I just feel like I'm lacking meaning or purpose. And the thing about values and living with choice points is that, you know, sometimes uh, we live in a very goal-orientated world. And I'm not against goals. I'm a goal setter. I think it's important to have a balance of goals and values. But goals sort of are fleeting you you work so hard to achieve the goal you achieve it and then there's the next step the next goal so it's kind of it comes and goes in waves whereas values is daily you can go to sleep at night and go you know I lived in my alignment with my values today and that felt good or you wake up in the morning and you go how am I going to live in alignment with this one value today so for you if it's like you know I'm just going to live with vitality vitality how am I going to bring that into my day today you know because I that's why it's important to just have those three three core values of like bringing that in so you know I'm so it's so awesome to hear that you've got that in your practice and in your life and you're living it and you're breathing it and your business shows that you know I think that uh you know your page and all what all what you're about is such a reflection of you so um you know I I love that that you that you did that the other thing I want to touch on that I think is awesome and exactly as you as you say it I think I, I talk about this with my one-on-one -on -one clients too is you just threw a whole bunch of things at the wall when it came to kinesiology and this and yoga and naked yoga <laughs> all of this just to see like what works? And that's exactly what we do in therapy or one-on-one -on -one coaching or even in courses or whatever our work is when we work, you know, with people. It's like, here's a whole bunch of strategies that we know work for people. Let's try some together and see what your toolkit's going to look like. Like for me, 
I so appreciate journaling, but I can't do it. I'm super inconsistent with it. I see the benefits of it, but it's just something that doesn't come naturally to me in terms of fitting it into my schedule somehow. And then I end up feeling guilty for not doing it. So I see the benefits and I recommend it, but I can't do it. But then there's other things that I do do, like meditation, that other people struggle with. So I think that's clear about trying a whole bunch of stuff, being open to it, and then just seeing what sticks, as you say. Mm. And also being open to the idea that things are fluid. You know, one of the most powerful lessons that I take away from my yoga practice is this idea of the vinyasa, this ebb and flow of life, that what suits you in one phase of life may not work for you in another, you know. So you're a mother, there are going to be things that have probably fallen away at this stage of your life that you may pick back up again at another stage, you know. So I, I think that we also just need to maybe be a little bit less rigid in our approach and just kind of take things more seasonally, whether that's in terms of season of life, the feel uh, like the um, the sub seasons of summer, winter, autumn, spring, or in terms of the seasons of a woman's cycle. Oh, yeah. exactly. Couldn't have said it better. It's just exactly your practice. I just love it, and I love that that validation of those seasons. And exactly right. We're going to have seasons where things work and things don't work, and it's it's what what works for me in this moment. So so leading to that, which is a beautiful segue to our final part, which is around realignment. So you've done all this work, and you continue to do the work, as we say, but you've you kind of gone through this experience. You've really changed your life, and now you're able to do something meaningful where you help others while still having though that that value of freedom in your life. I'd love to know, what do you do now? Like what's life now and what keeps you sort of feeling joy and, and happiness? What do you do now to stay on track? Yeah. So these days I'm, I like to think of myself as being in the driver's seat of my life, whereas before I think that perhaps someone else had the wheel. And for the most part, I'm able to live and work in a way that is nourishing for me, that supports my well-being and that aligns with my values. Um, you know, but there is a perception that if you work in the wellness industry, you must always be well. And it's obviously not the case because that's just not reality. But now I have this greater sense of self-awareness and I'm better able to recognize the early warning signs and take action to redress the balance. So, you know, when I notice that kind of healthy habits start to fall away and those habits are replaced with, you know, procrastination and less healthy coping mechanisms like chocolate and wine and Netflix and my personal favorite, doom scrolling, uh, <laughs> You know, when my to-do list gets longer and I feel like it's starting to control me, when my hermit kind of tendencies get a little bit out of control and when I start to experience physiological symptoms of burnout, you know, things like waking in the middle of the night or just being really kind of irritable. And if you're familiar um, or are you familiar with Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies? 
did she she wrote a book on happiness right yeah that's yes. right yes she went on to write about habits and um there's this you know I'm not going to go into it but there's this idea that there are four tendencies and I am an obliger so I respond really well to external support and accountability so that is my number one go-to strategy um, when I kind of when things start to get a little bit shaky and it might be you know booking in a session with my counsellor or some kind of energy work or scheduling extra sessions with my personal trainer. And then, of course, looking at the habits that I want to get back on track with, you know. Um, so for me, things like journaling, Reiki, meditation, and making sure that those things are happening first thing in the morning because that really sets the tone for my day. And I find if I don't get it done first thing, that it just doesn't happen. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what life is like mm. for me. It's just this, this constant, um, like calibration and recalibration, I suppose, um, checking in, what do I need in, in this moment? What is going to serve me so that I can show up and be the best, um, I can in every area of my life. And then that flows over into the work that I do as a women's life and wellness coach. You know, I help busy women, women conquer stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. And I'm particularly passionate about self-care. And I know that you are very opinionated about self-care and I share a lot of, <laughs> a lot, a lot of those uh, opinions, you know, when I talk about self-care, it's not the frothy kind of self-care that we see on Instagram. I'm talking about gritty self-care, you know, things like actually taking your lunch break, um, getting outside, getting your feet on the ground, editing your to-do list, setting boundaries and saying no to events or obligations that just don't light you up. So a lot of, of the work that I do personally, a lot of the work that I encourage my clients to do isn't particularly sexy, mm. but it's so important and it has real impact. So you know, that's my focus these days. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And, you know, I think something that all of us can take away, um, and I think that it's really important is, self-care doesn't have to be huge it is those little moments you know it's the mindful coffee in the mo in the morning where you're actually just taking two minutes to actually smell it feel it connect with yourself what am I feeling in this moment that's two minutes of your day you know and and uh you know when people say oh, I just don't have time for self-care I often think of um I don't know if you've heard it in the meditation world. Uh, there's a Buddhist who said something like, um, those who say they have don't have time to meditate have to meditate twice as long. Yeah. <laughs> because, because, you know, it's that. It's that if you don't have two minutes to connect with yourself and take care of you, there's something off. I absolutely agree. And, again, it goes back to a choice. Every moment you have a choice, you know, do you spend two minutes scrolling on your phone or do you spend two minutes doing something that is, is going to fill your cup and nourish that in a, in a wellspring? You know, again, you're right. Like people who say they don't have time for self-care need to reevaluate their time. <laughs> 
I could see you. You're like, I want to be direct right now, but I want to be diplomatic too. If, for those of you who can't see her face right now, it was like she's like, I want to say something, but I'm not going to say it. Girlfriend, just say what you need to say. My sister is an actual diplomat and we joke that she's the diplomat in the family, not me. <laughs> what? You, you, yeah. I'm very straight talking and you know if you work with me as a coach then that's what you can expect good <laughs> I'm gonna call you on your bs yes exactly so awesome so um Georgina before we finish up where can people find you where I'll, I'll have all the links in the show notes but where can people find you if they want to connect with you or hear more of your story or where's the best place to find you and where do you hang out yeah wonderful uh you'll probably find me hanging out on Instagram most often at Vitality Health and I have an IGTV series, Wellness Wisdom for Busy Women. Um, so you'll be able to hear more um, about my own personal approach um, and other women that we work with because we take a really holistic approach to, to wellness at, at Vitalita. So that's probably the best place to, uh, to find me. You know, obviously our website, vitalitahealthandfitness.com. Yeah, amazing. But please pop in and, and say hello. Yeah, of course. And then if anybody, I know that uh, Georgina's very open like me. If you if you want to continue this conversation, send us a DM on Instagram or swing us an email. We'd love to connect, you know, because that that's our thing. We want to normalize and not pathologize the craziness of life sometimes so thank you again so much Georgina I love this conversation and I'm sure we will be doing great things together again in the future so I look forward to it thank you so much Sheena it's such a pleasure to talk to you all right see you next time